0: the sunday review with tim graham
1: hello and welcome to the latest edition of the sunday review i'll be joined by ryan morland from east Grinstead rugby club who'll be telling us more about the club and their search for new players if you're more into musical theater then hannah smith will also be here to tell us about the range of classes available for young and old through bullfrog productions Norman Wong will be chatting to Paul Broadhead about confidence in the housing market. Carrie Overton's joined by Philippa Jacobs, who'll be explaining how a volunteering opportunity led to her establishing a charity. And Paul Tolney hears from Paul Smith about the range of running groups on offer from the Pound Hill Pounders, all coming up in this edition. East Grinstead Rugby Football Club has been part of the town for over 90 years and has grown from a single team to now three senior men's sides, a women's, colts and social touch rugby side, as well as thriving intermediate and junior sections. If you fancy giving rugby a go or getting back into the sport, they're currently looking for players of all abilities to join them as they push for promotion this season. To tell us more, I'm joined by the director of rugby, Ryan Morland. Ryan, welcome to the show. Can you start by telling me a bit more about the club and the different teams you have? Of
2: course I can. Um, So basically to to cover off what we've got at the club currently, we have um, under sixes, which is a mix of um, girls and boys, um, all the way through to, as you've said, uh, senior women's sides and senior men's sides, where we have um, three senior men's sides um, and then we have the women's so that they usually uh, train across Tuesdays and Thursday evenings. And then we have a social touch side, which train on Monday evenings at the club. So how much experience
1: does somebody need to be able to join one of the
2: teams? Um, I I don't think experience at all is is necessary. We've had people join us um, for the um, first and second team training for the senior men's sides that have, have not played rugby or maybe have played rugby 10 years ago um at school or college, and they just want to get into kind of a social sport and we'll accept that and and help kind of build the ability and help help manage them from from the get go so from my opinion it's it it could be um no ability whatsoever or low skill levels um and we would be there to to help guide them um and then we can assess from there where where would be best kind of suited as such if that would be continuing to train. Um, until uh, they are safe to play into a contact sport or if it's also to have a mix between contact sport at the senior level with men's and women's um, or to play touch rugby on a Monday, which is a very high skill level, very quick, but um, obviously doesn't have the contact side of the sport.
1: So if you are a complete beginner, there is still a place for you?
2: A hundred percent, yeah. So what we also offer as well is um, I'm more than happy to kind of go before sessions or after sessions um, to actually help an individual so if they're wanting to prove for example on just basic handling and um, like a catch pass situation then I would be more than happy to kind of go up there help if it's an extra 15-20 minutes before the session and and kind of help that individual grow and build their experience into the sport that's never an issue so if if you've never played rugby before then we kind of welcome people with open arms there's no criteria you have to kind of meet to to be able to to come to East Grinstead rugby club from a any age group, from I said under sixes through the cults, the women's sides, the men's side. So it's all it's all kind of equal. And there's parity across the club.
1: And is there an option for people to try it out and see how they get on? Again,
2: yeah, a a hundred percent. So we we don't necessarily put a lot of pressure on our memberships um from the get-go. It may be that an individual wants to come and try out for a couple of few weeks. See how they feel, um, and then we're very adaptable. So for, even from the stages of uh, an individual wanting to play rugby, but knowing they can't afford to pay the memberships, then we would be very understanding and look at alternative payment options, or even if 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 they cannot afford it at all, we would we wouldn't say then you have to leave the club. We we would find a way around them still being included and and to be a part of the family that we have at East Grinstead.
1: Now, you mentioned that you do training a couple of nights a week. How much commitment are you looking for from people who want to be a part of the
2: club? So what what we have currently from a... If we speak from the senior perspective, we have cults um, that train on a Tuesday evening. So they are 7 o'clock till 830 we have our men's and women's sides train on Tuesdays and Thursdays starting at seven fifteen and finishing at nine. Um, so, so they would be, um, they would be kind of the commitments we would be looking at. There wouldn't necessarily be, for example, we have many uh, players with, um, children, many players with, with jobs that will require them to, to potentially be working shifts. Um, that would mean that they would miss out on training every Tuesday, for example, but then that wouldn't jeopardise the chance that they would um, not get into the senior sides and play play rugby at the weekend just because they've missed a session or even missed two sessions within a week. So we're, we're very flexible with this side of things because I think that's the best way to work when you're playing kind of for fun. Um, And it's a social sport that that's what you need to be able to do to kind of introduce players. I think sometimes people get so pent up on the fact that they believe it's if they don't train both evenings and if they don't commit to every single Saturday of the year, then they're not going to have their name kind of in the pool to be selected. But that that really isn't the case. Um, we even look to, to see if we can have university students that have left us to come back. Um, so we've got those in just, just so that they know they've kind of always got a home within East Grinstead, and they can always return whenever they feel necessary or feel welcome.
1: Fantastic. And do most of the matches then take place
2: on a Saturday? Um, so men's um, senior matches, so first team, second team, and if we have a Vets or third team game, that would be on a Saturday whereas the Colts and the women's um, matches are always on a Sunday.
1: It's clear from the way you've been talking that you're really passionate about rugby. What was it that first interested you in the sport?
2: So my background comes from football. So when I first started sport as a youngster, very, very young, my, my dad was very passionate about me playing football. So I played a, um, a fairly good level of football. At, um was on the books at Brighton Hove Albion. Um, and some um, trials at some other professional clubs however at school in year seven i got into rugby Um so started to enjoy uh, more so the running uh, the agility side of things um, as opposed to necessarily the contact at the early stages but then when i become better and more confident with the contact side of the sport That's when my mindset changed and actually I really wanted to give it a go. So I actually ended up giving up football and moving over to play for Hove Rugby Club to start with whilst playing kind of school and college rugby. From there on out, I spent a large part of my career at Hove um, before moving over to East Grinstead after 16 years.
1: And what was it that drew you to East Grinstead?
2: Um, So as many people, certainly in the community at East Grinstead and within the area would know that Sadly, the head coach Matt Ratana R- was was killed just over a couple of years ago now, and a few months before that happened, he had asked me, "Would I like to coach and play up at East Grinstead?" Because he knew, kind of, I got to a point in my career where things had kind of got a little bit flat at Hove, and also to the opportunity where I needed to look after my playing career. What what would be next for me within rugby? And I have all my coaching qualifications already. Um, so he said, come up and coach um, and play a little bit and see how it goes. And from the very first day, I was I was kind of there and and glued really and knew that the love of the game was back for me once again. Um, and it really helped with having a close friend, Sandy Robertson, who was also a coach at Hove, come up there at the same time as me. Um, so I kind of didn't feel as if I was doing it on my own. I knew Matt, I knew Sandy, and then the lads there immediately were, were very welcoming as well. So... That was really my big change. It was a huge, huge, huge decision to make. And I know many uh, players even now have played at one club for their whole career. But I would highly recommend if if you're not enjoying your sport again, um, come and give Rugby at East Grinstead a go. Because we've had many individuals join us. Um, and as I said, it is a so, just a social rugby side, but... Um, players that have come to enjoy a session have decided to stay on after that so we must be offering something that is um, attractive and um, and enjoyable more than anything for, for any player as I said male female whatever ability that you have it's it's not a kind of one size or ability or shape fits all it's, it's a very open community and we are um, as I said really continually looking to recruit so we can hopefully move up the leagues.
1: You mentioned about the warm welcome you got when you joined the club. What do you think it is about East Grinstead that makes it such a great team?
2: Honestly, I I believe it was a few, well, more than a few years back now, there was a rebuild within the club where the club was playing a a fairly high level um, and then dropped down some leagues. And whilst they dropped down the leagues, there was a rebuild process where uh, Matt Ratana came in um and he helped kind of build not only the rugby side of things but it was all about the community it was all so about the off-field mental health um and the development within the team of like I've said if it's a a cult within the club who is very raw on ability and skill or or lacks a little bit of confidence or a troubled individual uh compared to someone who is playing a very good level kind of county rugby and, and higher Matt would have the same time for both individuals and I think that really um, kind of rubbed off on many of the coaching and many of the individuals that have been there from Matt's time to now that it's a very much so an open community ensuring that everyone is supported and for that reason people feel very welcome people that have been there just feel it's like a family kind of community type thing so for that reason as I said I think Matt was the person that certainly helped Put the foundations in place and ever since then players have continued to buy into that kind of culture as such
1: that's really nice to hear it sounds as though you've got a lot to be grateful for for what matt put
2: in place what are your hopes for this season for the club if we're talking kind of the senior level we were we were really hoping for um the women's side to continue to recruit players we've had a few new players join this year um but we, we want to continue that growth because that's very much so an important part of any rugby club now to have um women's sides as well um from the men's perspective is to have our first team and second team pushing for promotion within their within their leagues unfortunately last year we were um unbeaten and finished top of the league the first team but weren't officially promoted into the, out of the Sussex leagues into the London leagues and whereas this year we we've slipped up and Um, lost a couple of games um, which has caused us currently to sit in second position but our aims are to push out of the Sussex Leagues and um, to to push for promotion really and to be playing the best standard of rugby that we can play at, at, at a social level.
1: Fantastic so how can people get in touch if they're interested in joining you or finding out more about the club?
2: Look through social media first of all so we have both Instagram men's and women's pages where we have individuals that are Pretty much on there most of the day to get notifications and reply pretty quickly. Um, the same applies for Facebook. Alternatively, you can go onto the club website, uh, and on the club website, you can actually see individual contacts. So if you click on, for example, me. I will get an email uh, sent directly to me. So that will come straight through to my inbox and then I will reply to the individual or kind of a bit more of an old school, old school um, way, but you can literally pick up the phone, give the club a call and we normally have someone there as well and they would direct you to either the correct individual or give you the details for the evening that or day that that training session would be run by.
1: Fantastic. Ryan, thanks so much for joining me today and all the best for the rest of the season. Thank you very much for your time. If you'd like to find out more about playing for East Grinstead Rugby Club, you can visit egrfc.com, that's egrfc.com, call 01342 322 338, that's 01342 322 or search for them on social media. We'll post links on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Based in East Grinstead, Bullfrog Productions is a leading youth production company providing training across all aspects of musical theatre. Later this month, they'll be performing Footloose at the Capital Theatre in Horsham. If you or your child would like to join one of their future productions, or you just have an interest in learning something new, they've also just released their latest class timetable. To tell us more, I'm delighted to be joined by the principal, Hannah Smith, Hannah, welcome to the show. Can you tell us a little bit more about Bullfrog Productions and how it all started?
3: Hi, thank you so much for having me. Um, Yes, so we are Bullfrog Productions. Um, We offer classes in drama, dance, in lessons, musical theatre, um, and we love training the next generation of students to enter the professional industry. Um, both of Productions started about 17 years ago um, by a very talented woman named Jill McGrogan, um, and she set that just a couple of years ago, um, and I took over from there. Um, the name both of Productions came from the fact that their very first musical they ever put on was a musical called honk and um, it 's not that well known of a musical and um, that it's all about animals and all the characters are based around animals and One of the main characters in this musical is a frog, a bullfrog um, and he sings a song in the musical about how he's ugly and things like that but all his friends don't matter and they accept him for who he is and they love him for who he is anyway and that's the ethos we wanted to bring forward into our dance school so that's why we're called bullfrog productions
1: now you're primarily a youth music theatre company what sort of classes are on offer
3: so our dance classes we offer are ballet tap and modern under the ISTD syllabus um, so we take graded examinations in those classes um, once every couple of years. And then if your child isn't into taking exams and just wants to do dance for the absolute joy of it, then we also offer classes in jazz and street dance as well. Um, we have a very similar setup in drama, where if your child is interested in taking exams, we offer LAMDA exams. They normally take one exam every two terms, um, or we do offer just open drama classes for anyone who would love to take it for the fun of it as well. Um, And then we offer private singing lessons for those who want to improve their vocal technique um, and learn how to sing.
1: And can you be an absolute beginner or do you need some experience before you're able to join one of the classes?
3: You can be an absolute beginner. We take people from absolute scratch. And if your child is an absolute beginner, now is the perfect time to join us. Um, We've just taken our exams in uh, December. So we're now doing a show term in our dance classes. So we'll be doing a dance show in May. So everyone in those classes is starting the same dance from scratch. Um, So you need absolutely no experience. We would love to have you join us. Um, This is the perfect time to join, but you won't be behind at all if you join us now.
1: Fantastic. Whereabouts do the classes take place and how much do they cost?
3: Um, So all of our classes take place at the Jubilee Community Centre in Isquinted. They have a fabulous um, array of studios that we use, massive rooms. We have lots and lots of space um, and our classes range from £6.50 to £8 a lesson depending on the length of the lesson and we charge uh, £20 for our private one-on-one singing lessons
1: now i gather you also run classes for adults what subjects do you cover for them
3: absolutely we love having adults join us for our classes um, most of our adults who join us used to do a little bit of dance when they were younger and they did sort of a couple of classes growing up but haven't sort of touched it for the odd 20 30 years Um, and they're just loving getting back into it and it's a really really good way to get fit this january and and that sort of thing so we offer our fitness and routine class which is a really really fun zumba style class um, and we also offer tap classes. We have a beginner's tap class for adults who have never, ever tapped dance before but is something they've always admired and something they would love to get into, um, or we also offer an advanced tap class for those who maybe did do quite a lot of tap when they were younger and now want to pick it back up and get back into it. So all of those classes take place on Tuesday evenings, um, our beginner's tap and our Zumba class, are between 7.30 and 8.15 p.m. and our advanced tap class is between 8.15 to 9.00 p.m.
1: So how can people book or find out more information?
3: And you can find all our information at our website. Our website is www.bullfrogproductions.co.uk. And you can either give me a call or drop me an email. Um, my email is info at bullfrogproductions.co.uk. Or my phone number is 07745
1: now, as well as classes, you also put on performances, and we mentioned you've got Footloose coming up at the end of the month. How are ticket sales going for that?
3: Interest has been absolutely phenomenal. Um, we're so pleased that both shows are nearly sold out, so if you do want to come and see us, you have to grab your tickets quickly. And um, It is taking place at the Capital Theatre in Horsham, so get on their website or give them a call if you want to book tickets. Um, it's on the 28th of January, and our cast have worked So hard. Their harmonies are sounding phenomenal. Their choreo is outstanding. And they are going to produce the most sensational show for everyone to come and watch.
1: And how long does it take to put together something like that?
3: Um, So we have been doing... One rehearsal a week since September. Um, each rehearsal is three hours long. So they're with us from three till six on Saturday afternoons. Um, so we have a very, very quick turnaround for our musicals. Um, a lot of dance will take a lot longer than we do, um, but we jam pack it in because our students are so talented and we just cannot wait to get on that stage and show what they produce. So for Footloose, we've done 18 rehearsals that are three hours long each.
1: Fantastic. So after Footloose, are you able to tell us what you'll be doing next?
3: Absolutely. Um, I'm so excited to announce that our next musical will be Seussical Junior. Um, Seussical is a musical revolving around all of the Dr. Seuss characters, from Cat in the Hat to Horton the Elephant to The Grinch. Um, It's got absolutely fantastic music and it's appropriate for absolutely every age we take people from six all the way up to 18 the music is so fun the dancing is going to be so much fun Um, and we would love to have as many people come and join us for that one as possible
1: so when will you start rehearsing for that in earnest
3: we jump straight in after so our auditions for that one are on saturday the 4th of february between three and six in the afternoon and then our rehearsals will take place every saturday during term time Right up until the shows again at the Capital Theatre in Horsham, um, which will take place on Saturday the first of July.
1: And do you need to already be taking a class with Bullfrog to audition, or can anyone come along?
3: Absolutely not. We would love to have absolutely everyone come along. You don't have to do any of our other classes to sign up for our productions. You can just come along for our productions, like many of our students do, and we would love to have you.
1: Brilliant. And and how did you get into all of this, Hannah?
3: Um, I am a dancer and um, I grew up doing ballet tap and modern lessons just like so many other children around and then when I left school I went to teacher training college to become a teacher but that's where my passion really really lied. Um, and I originally applied to be the maternity cover for Jill McGrosan's daughter who was running classes at Bullfrog um, a few years ago Um, and it's all built up from there and I absolutely love my job and I am honestly the luckiest human being on the planet to work with so many talented and passionate students every single day.
1: That's amazing. Hannah, thanks so much for joining me today. Good luck with your forthcoming productions and uh, with the classes that you're holding.
3: Thank you so much for having me. I've had so much fun.
1: For more information on classes with Bullfrog Productions, visit bullfrogproductions.co.uk. That's bullfrogproductions.co.uk. Email info at bullfrogproductions.co.uk. That's info at bullfrogproductions.co.uk. Or you can call Hannah on 07745 526 691. That's 07745. Five two We'll post all the details on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Earlier this week, Norman Wong spoke to Paul Broadhead, Head of Mortgage and Housing Policy at the Building Societies Association.
4: With the combination of rising prices, increased mortgage rates, and the cost of living, is this the perfect storm for those thinking about buying a home?
5: I think for many people, it, it is. It's unsurprising, isn't it? Given the as you say, the spiraling cost we've had in terms of fuel, food, and energy in the last, you know, six or nine months, mortgage rates have have gone up. Clearly, the Bank of England has raised the central bank rate on nine consecutive occasions now. And of course, for many first-time buyers, they would say that house prices remain stubbornly high meaning that actually the affordability of paying that mortgage each month, coupled with, you know, actually raising that deposit, particularly for many people that are paying rent as well, is really, really challenging.
4: So it sounds like confidence in the housing market is low right now. And if that is the case, is the outlook similar across different regions of the UK?
5: It is broadly similar across the different regions of the UK, yes. Around one in five people only in the South think that now is a good time to buy as well so that sentiment we've been carrying out this research now for around 15 years so this is the second lowest that we've seen confidence in the market because of all of those factors that we've talked about the the one thing that i would say though is for people if they are in a position where they're they're looking to buy and they can afford that mortgage and they have got that deposit the the market does remain very much open and and competitive and actually in the face of the, the nine consecutive rises we've seen of bank rate. We've actually seen mortgage rates in the last month or so actually reduce slightly because of the expectation longer terms for interest rates being a little bit more stable. So, albeit more expensive than it was just a few months ago, over the summer, the market is still competitive and there are deals out there for people to be had.
4: Well, i was going to ask you about the bank of england increase in the interest rate to three and a half percent and as you mentioned that's nine consecutive mortgage rate increases what actually is the immediate impact on mortgages with that rise to three and a half percent
5: this latest rise was largely expected so we've not really seen any impact on mortgage rates for people taking out new loans the positive thing for people that have got existing mortgages is that around 8 in 10 people are actually on a fixed rate so they won't see any impact until the end of that current deal but there's about 1.8 million people due to end their deal next year so they will see an increase in their payments at that time but the immediate impact I think has already been kind of baked in with the market expectations so mortgage rates have largely stayed where they were last week even despite that half percent rise that you've mentioned
4: if anybody is looking to move house or buy a house what is the biggest barrier to successfully getting a mortgage? Is it raising the deposit or is it the monthly repayments?
5: Well, it it shows now that people are more concerned about the actual monthly repayments. Historically, in the vast majority of the case, it has been raising that deposit, of course, which is, is really, really challenging for people in the face of stubbornly high house prices. What I would say, though, is actually if people do want to, are looking to move, then speak to the mortgage lender or speak to a mortgage broker who can actually, let you know how much you'll be able to borrow what the price of that will be so you know what you can afford to buy before you start looking on the market that can be a really really short interview and give you the confidence that you can go on and purchase that property i think many people think actually just because of the rates increase i'm not going to be able to afford it and therefore self-select against it whereas actually many people will still qualify as i said the market does remain Competitive, so there are options out there. But getting the right advice is absolutely key for people.
4: So, if your financial situation is, let's say, healthy, it sounds like it is a good time to buy.
5: It it could be. I mean, it's really difficult, isn't it, for people to kind of call when is a good time to buy. What's going to happen with house prices? And to me, it's you know, people are buying a home for them and their families to live in for the foreseeable future. So, actually, if you are in a position where you've you've got that deposit you can afford that payment, and you've found an appropriate property, there's no reason for you not to go ahead with that.
4: For those people looking to move house, how big is the influence on the amount of stamp duty payable when looking for a new home?
5: It's generally quite a a low barrier, actually, stamp duty. I mean, it's almost seen as the the cost of of moving as well. And we've seen, you know, for most first-time buyers now, they won't actually pay any stamp duty. As you say, for those people that are trading up, they will pay stamp duty on a a proportion of that. But that's very, very rarely cited by many people as a barrier. It seems to be much more about the deposits and the cost of the monthly payment.
4: So looking forward, is the prediction that house prices will fall in the coming year?
5: I think many forecasters are calling that yes. What we're starting to see so far is some modest reductions in house prices in some areas. And I think we talk about the housing market as if it's one, homogenous, thing but actually there are very very regional impacts depending on local employment rates the type of properties that are available as well but i think largely we'll expect certainly a stabilizing of house prices if not at some falls in entirely which of course from a first-time buyer perspective That's great news because it means actually they're paying less for that property and the deposit is slightly lower. For those existing homeowners, they probably wouldn't see that uh, in the same way.
4: There is evidence that borrowers are expressing concerns about keeping up with mortgage payments, but do you have information about renters? I was wondering if they were
5: feeling the same as well about their monthly rents. Yeah, so what we see is actually the majority of mortgage holders are reasonably confident about maintaining their monthly payments at the moment. It seems to be the other costs that are sort of being absorbed into their income, but renters, it is a different story as i mentioned about eight in ten mortgage holders their payments are fixed so they've got that security until the end of that deal where renters don't have that same protection and there's you know almost a quarter of people in the rented sector are expressing concerns about being able to maintain their rental payments particularly if their landlord has a mortgage and that mortgage has increased being concerned about Uh, their rent also increasing as well so it seems that more at the moment it have more impact on people's concerns in the rental sector rather than owner occupiers who seem to be much more worried about the rising energy costs.
4: So I did hear you say if anybody is thinking of moving house to go and speak with their mortgage brokers in the first instance but do you have any other advice before you leave us today about what any of our listeners need to know or should do if they are considering moving house?
5: Yeah, if they're considering moving house, just make sure you you take advice, manage your finances to give you the best chance of getting the best deal. I think for many people at the moment that are just concerned with the rising cost of living and if people do worry about how they're going to pay their mortgage or how they're going to pay their, their rent, if you've got a mortgage, speak to your lender at the earliest opportunity. There is support available. There's a number of options that the lender can help you with to manage you through that process. And if you're worried about paying rent as well, make sure you get some independent debt advice. There's a number of uh, charities out there, National Debt Line, Step Change, that can provide you with debt advice to help you prioritise those debts and also make sure you're getting all the benefits of which you're entitled to.
1: Paul Broadhead from the Building Societies Association talking there to Norman Wong earlier this week. And we'll post links to some of the content that Paul mentioned on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Paul Broadhead from the Building Societies Association talking there to Norman Wong earlier this week. On Tuesday's Wellbeing Weekly, Carrie Overton spoke to Philippa Jacobs about how a volunteering opportunity led to her establishing a charity.
6: So my youngest son, George, went to Imberhorn and he went on a school trip to Tanzania. And as part of that trip, he had to teach in a primary school, just, I think, one lesson or for half a day. And at that time, I was working in primary school, so I helped him prepare for that lesson. And then when he came back from Tanzania, he was talking about that lesson, and it was very apparent that the the thing he enjoyed most about the trip was working in the primary school. Um, Anyway, moving on a couple of months, he went um, off to university, and I actually just coincidentally got made redundant. And so... I thought, oh, my work is done with these children. I will go on an adventure myself. So with that very tentative link of the primary school that George taught at, I went out to Tanzania and I spent 10 days at that primary school. And just before I left, I asked them what was the one thing that they wanted that would make a big difference to them at the school. And they said electricity. They just wanted electricity in one classroom. And so we did some investigations and discovered that that would cost about £1,500. And I thought, oh, I can raise £1,500. So that's what I did. I came home and raised £1,500 for them to have their electricity. I didn't
7: (laughs) really mean to start a charity. (laughs) It just sort of evolved from that, really. That's absolutely amazing. So what was it like, the school, when you went out and visited? Well, I think I was very struck
6: by the fact that
7: they didn't have any resources
6: So, um, like, for example, I mean, obviously, I'd been working for 12 years in primary schools in the UK. So it was obviously an an entirely different setup, And I think a couple of things really struck me. So, for example, all the children were on very small desks. So there would be at least three children that would share a desk. And on a few occasions, I watched um, when they were giving out pencils, they were having to share a pencil. Right um and the other thing that really um brought it home to me just how little they had was their library i'm i'm a big reader and my children are big readers and there were 500 children at this school and their their library probably consisted of maybe 60 books altogether Gosh. And I had taken over with me just some a few books, uh, new, brand new books, and I watched a child look at a Dorling Kinsley atlas. I watched him look at the front cover of the atlas, and I would say that he looked at that cover for at least two minutes before he even turned the page because he was so engrossed in how exciting the front cover was, how informative it was, and he had clearly never seen a brand new book in his life. And it really struck me that if I had given one of my children, and they are quite nice, my children, actually, (laughs) if I had given them a brand new atlas, as this was, a children's Mm. atlas, they would have have said, oh, thank you. And then it would have been put to one side Mm. and not really looked at. Mm. And it really struck me that this child had never had that experience before of a brand new book. And I really felt
7: that I wanted to do something to try and change that. That's I mean, that's a really powerful story, actually. So you said there are 500 children in the school. How many classes and what age groups were they? It's similar to the UK. So they start with
6: standard one, but that's more like a year two age child. And they actually go up to age 13. So a bit, a little bit like our middle school right. um, sort of age group. But whereas in the UK, we only allow 30 children per class. They only have one, one classroom per class. So quite often when i 'm out in Tanzania, I will visit a school, and depending on how rural it is or um, whether it's it 's more in a, a town sometimes i 've been into classrooms where there 've been over a hundred children in one Goodness class me.
7: with how many teachers with one. one one teacher
6: one teacher recently, I was out there, I was out there in September, and I went into one school. And there were 140 children in that class. So they were all out at play when I arrived and the mm. teacher called them in and I was standing at the door like to call them in to introduce me and they just kept on coming. Yeah. And I, I know that my face was like, my mouth was hanging open. I was thinking, well, how many more children? Mm. And they, they didn't have enough desks. There were loads and loads of children just sat on the floor. Um, uh, that, yeah, And that, that's very, very common, to find classes out there with children of as many children as 60 or 70 is very, very common. Right. Because you have to provide your own resources to send your child to school. By resources, I mean your own stationery and your own uniform. Some families find that financially challenging. And so they may not be able to send their child to school when they're younger So they might leave it a year or two and then send them. So you do go into school sometimes and find in in year one, you'll find a child that perhaps is as old as nine or ten because their family are then in a position to be able to afford the equipment that they need to send them to school. To find children that really genuinely felt that education is a privilege Mm -hmm. and who really, really wanted to go to school was so different to my experience of
7: children in the UK. Mm -hmm that it just had such a huge impact on me. Mm. I'm interested in the next bit, how it went from you going out and doing a visit to where you are now. Well, I think what happened next was I went back out there, actually, just because I wanted
6: to see the electricity in action. And I'd managed to get a grant from an organisation to provide some computers for that room. And so we were encouraging local community members to come in and learn computer skills. We had a really generous guy out in Tanzania who was giving lessons for free. Um, so that was something. But then when I visited for the second time, I discovered that they had no water. So these children were walking to school two or three, maybe even more than that, five kilometres a day, doing a whole day at school and then walking home without a drink, which I just couldn't quite believe. Yeah. Um, and so I then investigated the cost of a rainwater harvesting system. So we put in a rainwater harvesting system and it's just evolved from that. And so other schools um, approached us and wanted help. And so now we do all sorts of things. So we do classroom renovations. C- a couple of the things that I love more than anything else, actually, are, are we do skills-based workshops. Right. So we will put a garden into a school, for example, and so the children are taught how to care for the garden, and it's a reasonably big area. We give them all the tools, we give them the seedlings. We actually used recycled tyres as well um, to use them as um, flower beds. So we talk to them about recycling um and they they work really hard to make sufficient produce so that they can create a small income for the school mm. so we do that we also um have put in ch- small chicken farms when i say small i mean like we give them 200 chicks wow. so it's not really that small, <laughs> I say, that's then, not that small. <laughs> yeah um it creates a, creating an in- income yeah. for the school but at the same time giving the children that perhaps aren't so academic some skills that they Mm. might be able to use in later Mm. life. And then actually over lockdown, one of the other things that we've done, which um, I feel very proud of, is that we have established a workshop for some of the older girls. So we teach them how to make their own washable sanitary towels. Right. Because I discovered that some of, even in primary school, because the girls are that bit older than the girls in our primary school, more often than not, they've actually started their periods Um, And I was I discovered that girls weren't going to school for a whole week because they had no sanitary protection. So we have um, developed um, a workshop where we show them how to make their own sanitary towels. But at the same time, we talk to them about avoiding child marriage, avoiding child pregnancy, about reporting gender based violence. And that actually all came out of lockdown because we couldn't do so many of the fundraisers that we were used to doing I was looking for alternatives and I managed to link up with um, a company called Where I'm Out who make their own washable sanitary towels mm-hmm. and they donated some to us sadly they couldn't continue to do that so that's why we now show them how to make their own yeah we do a whole range of things really but we stick
7: to schools within one district right and it sounds like because you are in communication you go out there it's about what is needed you're not going into sort of rescue and put in there's no agenda of your own it is driven very much by talking to presumably the staff and the the teachers and their head teachers at the schools absolutely being driven by the community needs yeah so we
6: have um two or three coordinators out in Tanzania. So we rely on them very heavily for their input and their advice as to what, what they think we should do. And so, for example, if we, if we have some money to create a kitchen garden, we would then send one of the guys out um, who, who is from Tanzania to go and check that that school actually is in the right environment to check whether they have water, because obviously if they don't have water, we would either have to put in a rainwater harvesting system um, or we'd have to think of some other way for them to be able to create a garden um, but yes, we do. We spend a lot of time talking to the community. And now what happens is schools approach us and mm. say to us, you know, we would really like to do this. Mm. Um, and then we we assess it and make a decision as dependent, really, to be honest, whether we've got the money to be able to do it.
7: I mean, your skill set must have changed enormously hearing you talking about, you know, water harvesting systems, and everything. Was this an area of knowledge no. that you
6: had before? No, not at all. <laughs> my whole life has sort of changed what what are my priorities now are very different um and I have learned so much mm. you know I I had no intention of starting a charity it certainly wasn't you know it just wasn't on my radar at mm. all but it that just evolved and I've had to learn so much just running a charity you mm. know being a registered charity there's so many things you have to do mm. but then I spend a lot of time talking to people out in Tanzania and um a, I may I really enjoy that and I love particularly the ladies, actually, because the ladies often are the ones that will give me the ideas for projects that would be really useful and sustainable because right. that's the other issue, is that we want all of our projects to be sustainable.
5: Yeah.
6: So those those sorts
7: of things are very important to us. It's so inspiring and your enthusiasm and your passion for it is really obvious. And so I guess the reason why you have come on the show today is because we were talking about it and I said I was doing this Wellbeing Radio Show and you said to me... The one thing that everyone should do for their well-being is volunteer. So what has been the impact of this big change in your life on you, your well-being, your, your sort of world view, I guess? Um, well, I think at, at
6: this particular time of my life when I started this, I was ripe for being an empty nester right. because both of my children were just starting university. And I had, it had crossed my mind, what am I going to do once they're gone? Mm. Um, and just by complete coincidence, this came up at the same time and um so I went from my priorities being my children and caring for them to suddenly having something completely new a whole new challenge um and something that I found really really rewarding and now people do say to me oh it's fantastic what you do but actually it's sort of it's a little bit selfish because it gives me such a fantastic buzz Mm. the only way I can describe it is um You know that feeling you get if you've bought somebody a really fantastic present Mm. and you're waiting for them to open it. And so there's that sort of anticipation for them opening and that in itself is exciting. Mm. And then to see their face when they've actually opened that. It's like that, but I get that a lot because... Um, we now do quite a lot of projects, so it's just so uplifting mm. all the time and i I don't actually feel like I'm doing anything particularly amazing. I actually feel like I'm being slightly selfish because I'm the lucky one who
7: gets to do this and to go out there and see the results of it so if anybody's listening and thinking. I want to do something this is such an inspiring story how can they get in touch with you and what sort of things can people do okay so the charity's
6: name is champion chanzigi it's not the easiest name I appreciate that but I hadn't anticipated this charity being the success that it is so I might have cho- chosen a different name <laughs> otherwise so um yeah champion chanzigi so champion and chanzigi is spelt c-h-a-n-z-i-g-e Um, And that is actually the name of the very first school I visited. So, the school that I spent um, 10 days at initially, nine or 10 years ago. So, um, if you look up championchanzigi.com, you can find that. We have a website, we obviously have a Facebook page. um, And as far as helping is concerned, we are always looking for people to fundraise on our behalf.
1: Phil Jacobs talking there to Carrie Overton. If you'd like to find out more about the Champion Chanzigi charity and how you can help, visit championchanzigi.com. That's champion, C-H-A-N-Z-I-G-E.com. We'll post the link on Twitter at SundayReview107 and on facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. Poundhill Pounders was established in 2021 during the lockdown and has grown into a huge running group. Paul Smith joined Paul Tolmy for his mid-morning show on Tuesday to tell us more.
8: On our first session it was with only six of us and uh, since then we've now grown to uh, in excess of uh, of 800 people on our our Facebook group.
0: That's incredible. And that's all of different different abilities?
8: Yeah, so we've got um, uh, six different groups, um, so ranging from a a walking group. um, Obviously we've just started our Couch to 5K uh, program along with um, the uh, 5 to 10k group as well. So we've got walking, all the way up to uh, advanced uh, fast runners. So it's, uh, so it's a good, good mix, a good mix of abilities. So uh, we make sure we're all inclusive for everybody, uh, and because we know how obviously daunting it can be for uh, somebody turning up to a new running club um, and not knowing where to start. So we, we try and be welcoming to all.
0: And I guess people must feel quite alienated as well, thinking, "Oh, I, well, I don't know because I'm, I'm probably not going to be as fast as the rest of them." And but but there's there's nothing like that. That's all. That's all perfectly okay, and, and people can just go at the pace that they find right for them.
8: Exactly. So we've got um we're quite fortunate. We've had some uh, some grants from the uh, local council, uh, and we've got multiple uh, trained uh, England Athletic uh, coaches and leaders uh, up to a standard now. And I say, without our uh, leaders and helpers, there wouldn't be a a Pound Hill Pounders. So I'm I'm very fortunate to have uh, numerous amount of help from everybody as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I say, we we advertise on uh, Facebook with regards to uh, abilities. So I say, we've got six different groups and uh, we welcome welcome everybody in um, with, uh, with open arms, as it were.
0: Absolutely, no, that's great. So you guys meet on a Monday and a Wednesday at Grattan's Park and Crawley. Uh,
8: so it varies. So uh, okay. yeah, Monday, Mondays and uh, and Wednesday evenings from uh, from half six, and then we've just started uh, yeah, a Tuesday and a Thursday mornings as well. Because uh, obviously sometimes people aren't available to um, to attend mm. evening sessions, and sometimes with uh, with moist conditions, uh, people might not want to uh, attend when it's... Um, when it's raining, it can like I say uh, it can be daunting for anybody uh, turning up, but we uh, we try to to welcome and uh, try to um, encourage people uh, that they can do it, uh, especially with the uh, Catch 5k starting. The, I think there was forty eight people um, running this session. so it's um, it's, uh, it's just amazing the uh, the amount of uh, response that we get.
0: Do, do you find as well, Paul that how, how important that the camaraderie is as well between between the runners?
8: Hundred percent. So we, um, as you can imagine, pound all pounders is a bit of a a, a play on uh, play on words, and I appreciate I've got to keep it a little bit uh, clean. But yes, we do have a a lot of um, banter with our uh, with our uh, leaders, and especially with with the runners. Um, Because there's no point. You can I'm sure there are uh, thousands of other clubs out there, but we try our differences to try and keep it light-hearted and uh, and very friendly with uh, with our runners and certainly not to make it formal uh with um putting people off uh and obviously running massively helps uh, mental health uh, cause, uh one of our uh, key charity uh, sponsors uh, is is mind mm. um and uh, yeah it, it just for myself obviously uh, back in covid um times it was with everybody being in uh, in furlough, uh, you, you just needed to get out, didn't you? So we uh, we did a, a one-on-one uh, run um, sessions, uh, and it was yeah, it was just it just massively helped uh, mental health.
0: Yeah, sometimes when you're because've uh, I've, I've been running myself in the, in the past uh, I still am but I, I, I think that sometimes when you've when you've got something that's that's budding you sometimes getting out there and just getting all the fresh air in and can sometimes really help it's very therapeutic
8: it's exactly cause we're, um, myself I'm uh, also mental health trained uh, luckily through uh, through uh, what the, uh, the club has been able to generate fun um, so yeah it's Going out and getting uh, chatting to somebody uh, on a run, even the small things of uh, just going for a drink after the uh, after the club, which yeah. I think many of us, quite a few of us, do, uh, can can yeah, be uh, make the difference of cheering people up.
0: It's so much more, isn't it, than just putting one foot in front of the other and and and, and just running. There's so much more to it, and just the the friendship, the networking, the camaraderie, as we said, the.
8: Yeah, it's um, made some uh, some lifelong friends myself and uh, I know that other leaders and all the other runners. The friendship has been great. I mean, the, the, one of our ladies uh, who was unable to run uh, far, but she's now uh, taken on uh, 10K distances and uh, I think she's got her first half marathon booked up this year. Um, so it's, it's great to, uh, to be able to um, help, uh, help others as well.
0: Yeah see, seeing the success stories as well must be hmm. must be great so for you I'd imagine
8: Exactly so with the Couch 5K we've got um uh, we've got Matt and Liz and Lisa and all of the rest of their team doing their uh, their thing with the Couch 5K um and yeah it's it's great it's great to see uh, everyone helping where possible
0: No that's absolutely great and uh, have you are you any plans to sort of expand further
8: Yeah so we uh, we were uh, looking to do um, so the PT options as well. So we, we are looking to do uh, a boot camp uh, option to keep it free uh, as well. So the club is completely free. We mm. don't ask for any uh, memberships or contracts um, from, from our runners. So I think that is also our difference. We know that times are hard with, uh, with money. Yeah. Um, so we, we started off free and we will always continue to be free. So we had a, a, a I say, we keep on with the grants. We had another grant for uh, for me to be um, trained for a, for a personal trainer as well. So that is coming soon, uh, hopefully later part of this year, for strength training and uh, bootcamp.
0: Brilliant. So it's so it's expanding from running then.
8: Yeah. So we uh, we do uh, well multiple things really. So it's obviously running is just one aspect. We've got the walking that like mentioned. We were to, uh, hoping to do uh, like a self defence class, depending on interest. As was anything in the in the darker months, uh, men and women uh, might feel a bit vulnerable uh, running on their own,
0: yeah.
8: uh, outside of the club. Uh, and we thought this would be a perfect uh, venture to, uh, to pair up uh, with one of our um, sub coaches, um, who would take a, a forty-five minutes to an hour class of self defence. Mm. Um, so we're hoping that will start soon and hopefully that will kick off uh, as well
0: Great, so we said the groups are on uh, Monday and the Wednesday and people can just turn up?
8: Uh, yeah, so we would ask that they would um, sign up to the, uh, the Facebook so they yeah. can then see uh, where our locations are because um, yes, whilst we are, our home is, uh, is Grant's Park um, we do meet up at different locations because otherwise it can get very samey uh, just going to the, the same place and doing the same same runs.
0: Yeah, no, uh, of course I can Yeah, I the Hopefully,
8: uh, the listeners can uh, can take something uh, from this and uh, and be inspired to uh, to make their first step. And I think the hardest part is getting out of the uh, the door for the uh, for the Couch to 5K uh, yeah. for a lot of people. But um, but yeah, it's um, it's good.
0: C- could you have ever imagined, Paul, it would have grown to this extent?
8: Uh, no, I mean I say I couldn't have done it without the uh, the vast amount of uh, of helpers. We've got uh, several WhatsApp groups, and one of which is uh, obviously a leader WhatsApp group, and uh, we've got I think on there 10, 10, 15 people leaders uh, who take all the uh, all the other groups as well as as myself, uh, and then, yes, yeah, it's, it certainly is grown because of um, because of their uh, voluntary uh, help towards the group. So I'm, I'm forever grateful uh, for that.
0: Well, absolutely fantastic. One of the few brilliant things to come out of a horrendous time for, uh, for exactly. all of us. Uh, right, Poundhill Pounders is uh, taking place in Crawley and uh, have a look on their website. So just give us the website, Paul. So it's
8: um, www.poundhillpounders.club and then uh, our Facebook is very much similar, but established 2021. 20, uh,
1: Paul Smith chatting to Paul Tolme earlier this week. For more information about Poundhill Pounders and how you can join one of their running groups, visit poundhillpounders.club. That's poundhillpounders.club or search for Poundhill Pounders on Facebook. And that's it for the latest edition. We've got all the information on the features you've heard today on Twitter at SundayReview107 or on Facebook.com forward slash SundayReview107. I'll be back on air next Sunday morning from 10am on 107 Meridian FM or on meridianfm.com or you can download the latest podcast. Until then, take care and have a great week ahead.